0: This is a podcast225 production.
1: Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Here we are, back again with another edition of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 1073 mobile app. Again, glad to have you here. Thank you for hitting the subscribe button. If you have not, you need to do that. You can get the show for free every week or in cases like this, when it seems like we're doing a show every day, it'll pop right into that podcast icon and you'll have a chance to hear what's going on. Today's show is a continuation of our ongoing dialogue about what's been happening in Baton Rouge. Our guest on this show is the former Baton Rouge police chief, Pat Englade. He has very candid thoughts about the relationship between inner city communities and law enforcement. He also talks about his time as chief, his reflection on the way officers and citizens should interact. He is candid about everything, but that's the kind of guy he is. He tells you what he thinks, and I generally like having people on the show who just shoot it right down the line. And that is what he does. So you will hear his thoughts unvarnished. And pretty interestingly uh, clear about where he stands on everything. Uh, you, you'll you hear in the show that I've known Pat for, goodness, 13, 14 years. And I count him as a friend. And so I think that for people listening to the last series of shows, you will get a chance to hear from people on both sides of this issue. And I want them to be honest, and they have been. They have done extraordinarily Uh, really good work at shooting you straight and they've had the time to articulate with you. And so that part to me has been great. And Pat keeps that going. So we've spoken to the aunt who was one of the people who raised Alton Sterling. We've spoken to a couple of the members of our Metro Council here, Lamont Cole and Te- well, Lamont Cole and Joel Bowie. The Bowie show is still to come, but I've already spoken to him. We've spoken to a lawmaker and Ted James, and uh, uh, Sandra Sterling is the aunt who helped raise Alton Sterling, and uh, that show. I'm still getting great feedback on that show. Still to come in the days and weeks to follow. Our conversation with David Tatman that was going to happen that's, that this week we pushed it back to next week. We're gonna sit hopefully within the next week, to record a show with former state senator and current mayoral candidate Sharon Broom, who reached out about being on the show. And absolutely, come on in. Want to talk with her as well. And that's all that. So without further delay, a quick break, and then back with former Baton Rouge Police Chief Pat Inglade here on The Clay Young Show on Podcast 225.com
0: promote your business or organization on podcast 225.com podcast 225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for louisiana listeners every month thousands hear the weekly clay young show every week clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people Hosting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show.
1: Back with former Baton Rouge Police Chief Pat Englade. And as I was saying, I was thinking about this earlier. You know, we've known each other 13 years because we, well, maybe a little longer than that. We met when you were still on the job. Right. So I've been putting up with you that long, that's man. That's
0: a long time, is it? Nobody puts up with me uh, can for I? that long. Is there an award or something? <laughs> <laughs> you might be able to claim something on income tax or something. That's I'm not right. sure. <laughs> well, that's never worked for me yet. I'll try it. Uh, tough, a tough
1: few days for Baton Rouge and I want to kind of give you a chance to go through the last week what you saw and then one thing about you everybody knows that you're candid you say what you really feel but on July 5th when you know later in that day when the news is coming out that this had happened what was your reaction
0: what was for, what was the first thing you thought well of course you know I've I've been in that position at Chief Dabity's. In right now right and, and and it's a very tough position to be in uh, I'll, I'll just like everybody else was sitting back and trying to figure out what was going on because right. I'm gonna be real honest with you to this day I really don't know exactly what happened I don't think we're gonna know that till they put all the pieces together sure. and, and can tell us exactly from the beginning to the end exactly what happened but it was, it was probably more than I expected. Uh, I think generally the people of Baton Rouge are very good people.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: I don't think they're prone to craziness and, and, and acting out of character. I've been around them for too long. Uh, I knew we were going to be in trouble when we started getting the outside influences because yeah. I, I think that's what stirs the pot. Uh, it's a terrible situation uh, you know, all the way around I don't, I don't sure. think there's any way to deny that sure. it's a terrible uh, no police officer in his career wants to fire his gun let alone kill somebody I, right. I, I think that if I don't think there's a police in this country today that doesn't realize what will happen when that occurs you've seen it happen too many times you've seen Baltimore Uh, You've seen the other examples of these recent police shootings where you know that your life is going to be turned upside down at that point. So the idea that that anybody would purposely go out without any reason at all and and do something like that just seems so crazy to me. I just can't see that happening. But you have to realize that all policemen are human beings, too. Uh, they are subject to fear and, and being afraid of things sure. and and not knowing what to expect in a situation like that. I've been in a situation just like that before. And you're not never going to know what you're going to do until that moment and when it happens as to how you're going to react to it. Right. So all the training in the world is not going to set you up for what's because not every scenario is going to be the same. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. And like I said, until we know the final story and exactly what happened out there and, and how it unfolded and how it ended up at this point, I, I think that we all owe it to the system to let it work and then find out what happens. And then course, then it's up to everybody else to make their decision about how they feel about it at that point.
1: What was your reaction to the call for Kip to resign and Dab to be, uh, Carl Dabity, Chief Dabity, to be fired?
0: Well, I think that's a that's a gut reaction from people. Uh, first of all, you had a tremendous amount of emotion going on at that sure. point. And if Kip resigns and if the chief resigns. Well, what do you do then? I mean, there's, it just doesn't make any sense. I think if you if you got a problem, you sit down and you address it. Up to that point, there have been issues in in Baton Rouge with both the police department and and the mayor, but nobody was saying you need to resign today. Sure, it only sure. took this event to kind of push that over to that point. So my point with the whole issue and the mayor is that at that point, the mayor and the chief both have to step up and be leaders. Yeah. They have to lead this community through a very rough period. Define that, that
1: leadership, what you define the role of leadership in context to what happened last week.
0: I think, well, as far as a police chief, I mean, I've never been a mayor don't ever want to be a mayor. Uh, that's but, one
1: more sane person in the city.
0: I I yeah, I may be the only one that's not running. Uh but I'm not running. <laughs> but uh from from the police chief standpoint, I think the chief did a very good job of, of of trying to keep everything in line. He has to be out and supportive. He's got a terrible situation yeah. here that the community's starting to unwind. Right. But he's also got 650 police officers that he's got to take care of and assure their safety and make sure that they understand that he's leading them through this and he's going to get them through this no matter what they have to understand that because it's you know the leaders get up and lead and I've always said if you don't want to lead, get out of the way and, and let somebody that wants to lead lead. And right, that's, that's the way I've always felt yeah, about things. I'm not
1: going to pull you into the political thing with Kip because it's it's kind of, it's on the periphery of the context of this because he's he's taking a pounding for not saying anything. I, I spoke with Sandra Sterling yesterday as we sit to record this, and she said the first elected she spoke to outside of Lamont Cole was Governor John Bell Edwards. That she's not heard from him, and Hiller obviously is going to stay out in the middle of talking to anybody if he can. Uh, but but moving on to Wednesday, Wednesday was the first evening that we really saw the protests, and they stayed at that convenience store for two nights and then moved over to PDHQ on Airline Highway. So, the first evening of protests, what what was your reaction to all of this? Because we had gained the national attention by Wednesday morning.
0: Well, Clay, I, I had the I had the opportunity, and I'm not going to say it was it was exactly the same thing, but in the early '90s, we had the abortion protest. Right. Here. It was op- Operation Rescue, right? And and it was the same type of very emotional situation. Right. These people feel very very strongly about abortion and uh, and how they feel about abortion doctors and those sort of things. So it's the same kind of gut wrenching emotion that you had back then, mm-hmm. and and again. I think the people of Baton Rouge at that point just wanted to come out and and sit there and pray and hope things that you know whatever their god would intervene sure. on this and, and things would turn out. But we knew as soon as that outside element would come in here yeah. that they were going to stir that cuz yeah. it's it's like a it's like almost like a you know you're sitting through a boring game of some kind and all of a sudden there's a real hard hit on the field mm-hmm. and everybody just goes crazy and everybody yeah. starts to get into it and it just and that's almost what we found here is that I'm not gonna say it's a mob mentality, but you had people out there that just wanted to show their support sure. for what happened sure. at that store. And but that wasn't enough for some of these people.
1: Well because the first couple of nights you know, the emotions were high and by Friday it was it was different by friday at the police department headquarters the energy was different and you can tell because there were a lot of outsiders there and the way that they were going about it uh i'll go back to the the thursday thursday evening there are protests out at that convenience store uh well let me go back a day before wednesday night the the sixth in minnesota video of this shooting comes out and we basically learned about it on Thursday morning. When you saw that, what was your reaction? Because that was a different kind of circumstance, too. But what did you think about that?
0: Well, I, I, I look at it when I see these things, because I had to look at them uh, at, at shootings as a police chief. And and I always made up my mind, and it, it's, it held true for anything I did in police work, that I had to be convinced that somebody did something sure. before I was going to render my opinion about what I thought. Uh, my worst fear in being a detective during when my time as a police officer was putting somebody in jail that didn't do something. Right. It just bothered me. I, right. I didn't want to do that. Right. And I, I carried that philosophy on with me as, as, when I became chief. And I always wanted to give everybody the benefit of the doubt up to a point that I w- it was proved otherwise. Sure. Because it's very hard to put yourself in that position right. unless you've been there before. Right. And that's just a very, very small fraction of this police department that goes through an event like that, to be honest with you. All the shooting, the training, uh, the shoot-don't-shoot, shoot, all those scenarios that you go through, until those real bullets and, and, and people reaching for guns or coming out and telling you they have a gun I, you know, I looked at the Minnesota thing from a from a just a citizen standpoint and I'm gonna tell you it gave me some pause yeah I, I something happened there that triggered this police officer to do whatever he did and again I, I don't know what happened I don't know what he was thinking but looks bad it looks bad on, yeah. uh, on face value it yeah. looks bad it, you know the thing that
1: came out of this, and we've heard this from a lot of people lately, is this relationship between the police department and, quote, unquote, the black community and all of this angst that's popping up now. And I don't think the Baton Rouge Police Department is a racist police department. And it might surprise you. I was telling you before we sat to do the show that Sandra Sterling said she doesn't think that they're racist. Ted James says he doesn't think that the police department is racist. There are people who support what law enforcement members do i mean i've got members of my family who wear a badge i've got friends such as yourself who have served in law enforcement no group is perfect we know that not not church leaders not educators not doctors not lawyers nobody but when this stuff pops up the the narrative is so intense right so when you hear that And you see what's being played out on television and the way the national media is characterizing who Baton Rouge is. What do you say to that?
0: I I don't think you label a whole group of people as racist. Do I think there are people that have racist ideas within that department? Absolutely. I would be be a fool not to think of that. I, I think those occur in every group of people sure. in this country. I don't sure. think you're ever gonna get rid of that. Nope. But I think as a whole that people become police officers, and it's it's a kind of an old joke around the police department is, when you ask somebody why they wanna become a police officer, they say they wanna help people. I guess that's the appropriate answer. I don't know, but but in reality, I think that's why you do become a right. police officer. And it's not because I want to help white people or black right. people or Asians or anybody. It's, it's not because I, I want to help people. I think it's a public service right. that you do. And Lord knows there's no thankful... There's, nobody's thanking you for it most of the time. It's a thankless job. Right. And and again, you're not going to get rich doing it. But it's rewarding. I, I think every time you turn a corner... And somebody walks up to you and says, you know, I do appreciate what you do. I, I think that makes that job worthwhile because they don't hear that all the time. You know, I, I, I heard complaints being a police chief for, for years. And the number one complaint I heard from people, and you'll never understand, was not the police are beating people up. You know, the, all these ugly things are happening in the city. It's came over traffic stops. Un, it, it was, it, it, it was the number one by far is the way officers treated them or acted during a traffic stop. And and I think the worst thing if you if you look at and I could almost understand that to a certain point, because you know, I used to tell these officers, it's it's okay to tell somebody that you're stopping them for a violation, but nobody wants to hear you tell them how they need to drive. A lecture. They don't want to hear that. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that. And, and and that's the number one thing that people would get aggravated. And then, of course, they'd be going home that afternoon and see a police car going <laughs> steam by them at 100 miles an hour and say, you see what I told you, huh? <laughs> what hypocrites. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, you know, the... the
1: we go through Wednesday and we chatted about that, and then Thursday night, in Dallas, and we all see that. I mean, what? What'd you think?
0: I, you know, I look at things as as a department. I mean, that's just the way my mind's tuned. And and I have to say, I have to admire that police chief. Yeah. Not for what not for what he said or how he conducted himself so much but just his strength in being able to hold up to that whole i, I mean i had vicky wax died yeah. when i was a police chief yep. and it literally almost just put me down yep. literally it, it it did that much to me it,
1: for people who don't remember she was a police officer working at a walmart i on cannot college remember, on college drive and in and, and what what Started out as a com- conversation, checking something out, ended with this lady losing over her life over some batteries. Over some batteries, this lady lost her life, and that was a Tuesday or Wednesday night in that week. It, it was because I remember it was the middle of the week. Yes, and uh, but but for for those who were here now who weren't here then, that was a pretty dark. Day I for was this town.
0: I was actually in Albuquerque, New Mexico, speaking at an air force base. Oh wow! And and I got the call and and. My wife and I talk about that all the time. We spent when I got the call, we spent that whole night trying to get me out of here on an airplane to get back to Baton Rouge because I felt I had, I as the leader of that department, right. I need to get back. There, there's no worse time than that. Right. And, and and I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. You got five. Five. How do you deal with that? How do you how do you pick your head up? Well, what, what what was it? A dozen shot and five died. I I I can't even imagine it. I mean, I got to give him that. You know, he spoke a lot about God during this period. He, he stayed must, steady. He he's I mean, he's my hero. He I never say he, that. He, his
1: voice never cracked. Uh, to some of the media, when you know the next morning he said, "I want to clear something up. The suspect did not did not commit suicide. We blew him up." And then later on they're asking him questions about it. He said, I'd do it again. And as one sidebar, I don't know why anybody would waste any time on air talking being critical of how they how they took him out.
0: i, I never uh, really give credit to how many stupid questions the <laughs> media is gonna ask you because that was obviously that man's choice right then in his position he was in to stop. The killing. Right. And if he had to blow the whole building up, you yeah. know, that's his decision to yeah. make. He knew he was going to have to live with that decision. And I'll tell you, I have never heard that before. I, I, that must be brand new. Uh, that I, we had robots, but I didn't know they had them that could bring bombs. Yeah, you, you're in. like, you're, you're
1: the, I've heard other people say that that, that, that that's brand new. They had never heard of that hate, before. I, I and the that. thing had C4. Yeah. So they had some serious power behind it. And I'm sure they, they scooped him up with a dustpan when it was all over with. So, you know, this thing happens and it does affect some of the narrative here because a lot of the elected officials who were a part of these protests were at that point saying, that's not what we want here. I saw a few of them on national news talking about that. Ironically enough, the night that it happened and Sandra Sterling talked about it in the show that national media was trying to call her and getting her to almost justify the actions of this moron in response to what they say happened to her nephew. And she said, I just, I wouldn't do that. There's no justification for that. And I'm thinking sometimes, and it's not all the time, cause I, you know, I've spent 20 years around media. So I, I you know, doing it, and even in this capacity now in my own form, but sometimes I look at some of the people who do this and I just wonder, how the hell does anybody trust you to ask a question on behalf
0: of their media company? Do you know? I, I don't know. I, I can't I, 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 what I did press conferences almost daily
1: during the serial during killer the serial, investigations. And, and, yeah
0: and the amount of stupid questions that were presented were just, you know, it almost appears that there's a couple of questions in the beginning of a press conference. That make good sense, uh, right. that, that, and then they've got what they need, and then there's nothing else to say. So let me just find something real stupid to ask him, like to try to piss how you do off. You feel about blowing that guy up? Do you feel <laughs> well about that? I mean, now how? What, what kind of question is that? I just this guy just lost five of his people and had eleven or twelve boys shot. His city's in total disarray, and they're asking him how he feels. I mean. Whew. The, the guy's numb right now. Right. I mean, he's got yeah. to be
1: numb. Yeah. He's been a rock star, though. I mean, he said one of the things that we can do to make this better for a lot of the young men, fill out an application. You know, and he tells his own personal story about how he had a full ride, went to college, the whole thing, and he saw that as his way to give back. Just like you were just talking about, wanting to be helpful. And when he started, maybe he had the... Goal of maybe one day being the police chief, but but on day one, you know that's a great distance off from where you are when you're in the academy,
0: right? Well, everybody thinks they know more than the chief. I will tell you that. That's <laughs> no did, man. No, <laughs> I always knew more than any chief that ever came before me. And then when I became chief, I figured out that I didn't really know anything. I, I was I was going to start <laughs> all over, and and I didn't really have an answer for anything. But uh, I don't think. You know, I think every chief that goes through a tenure on any department will look back and, and think, you know, when I was a young rookie and calling the chief stupid and, you know, if I'd have had it, I'd have done it this way. And after it was over with, you kind of look back and say, boy, that was a rough ride. I don't know if that was a good decision or not. <laughs> it's, it's really, I mean, I don't think anybody understands the issues that become that come before a chief of police, you know. The majority of your time, tell, you're tell dealing with it. personnel issues. I mean, it's, it goes from anything. You got a thousand employees that are working for you, and a thousand different problems every day. You got, you know, you got two women fighting in traffic records. You got, you know, there's there's a a guy's going through a divorce and and he can't work anymore. You get people injured. I mean, every day you're dealing with these personnel issues that. You really don't have time to sit back and think about police work. You're too busy dealing with, you know, people problems every day, Trying to protect and your own people. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's 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 hard to balance that out and, and and understand what, uh, you know, how do you how do you balance all that out together? And it's a tough thing to balance out.
1: Let me ask you, right now, what do you think police officers in this town? are feeling about the way that some people in this town feel about them. And let me say this, uh, just alongside that question, there have been groups of people who have showed up to the police department with food and water and an outpouring of, of emotion. And I saw a group of young people who showed up yesterday at the God Squad or something, yes. and it was a you know mixed-race group of kids who showed up to do that, which... I can't imagine what that must have been like for them having that happen. But what do you think an officer is feeling right now?
0: I think me, I, I, I get around a lot in the city. I, I, I was, I had a doctor's appointment yesterday, and I'm sitting up in my doctor's office, and there's about, uh, he's he's a busy doctor, so there were probably twenty five people sitting up in there, and and I was sitting, uh, when there were a couple of black females and a couple of black males in there, and. We were just sitting there holding a conversation like nothing had ever happened. I mean, do they know I, you were a police officer? No. Okay. But but Well, I think maybe a couple did. Everybody everybody looks at me and goes, "I know you from somewhere, but I just don't know where." <laughs> I used to be a weather man. <laughs> but uh I don't, You know, I really genuinely think that the people of Baton Rouge are very good people. And they actually believe that the Baton Rouge Police Department, the Sheriff's Office, state police are all very good agencies. And, the, and for the majority of the time, they're pleased with what they do. But because you have to understand, the majority of police officers in this city are in the predominantly black areas of Baton Rouge. Right. And it's that hard, you know, I hear this racial profiling, you hear all these terms being thrown around, we're targeting young black men, uh, you know, the police are. If you want the crime in your area of town to lessen, then and you want the police in there, you're going to have to experience some of the things that goes along with that.
1: Which would be what?
0: You, you've got kids sitting on street corners at 3 o'clock in the morning, and if it's wrong to go up there and, and shake those kids down, then nothing's ever going to come out of this. You want guns off the street. When you drive up, nobody's going to throw their guns out and say, Here, you know, here, I don't need this anymore. Uh, I'm not going to put down on, the, on the, the guns for gas and all those other programs that, that come. I'm just not one of these that believes that a kid. That's living on the streets of Baton Rouge, a black young male that almost has a fear that if he doesn't have a weapon, then he's going to die. Right. He almost feels like he has to prepare himself for because the other guy's got one, and if I don't, then something's going to happen to and me. And it could
1: happen anytime.
0: Do you think he's going to go turn his gun in? I no. mean, it's, that's what we have to break, is, is that. We have to get back, and, and I'm going to tell you honestly, Clay. The, the number one thing that we've lost in this country, from the last generation to now, especially, is just respect. Mm-hmm. We have no respect for anybody, yeah. and that goes across all lines. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I, if I, I hear these kids the way they talk to their parents, and I'm talking about white, black, oh, guys. yeah, oh yeah. You know, I had a kid, you know, toward the end of my career. I had hired one academy before I was getting ready to leave, and I had these kids coming in, and I always like to look at them in the face and you know and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's the most important thing that a police chief does is who he hires, right? Or she, I better say who they hire, <laughs> because you're giving that person a gun right. and you're saying you can go kill somebody mm-hmm. with it. So you better damn well know who you're giving a gun to, right? And make sure that you think they can handle that. But, but, you know, I started to see things in kids' background checks. I started to see things that just gave me a lot of pause. for Why are these kids coming in with all these charges on me? When I joined the police force, if you had a speeding ticket, they beat you up mm-hmm. uh, in, in the academy. I mean, yeah. you weren't supposed to have anything. And I've seen that transition into these sort of things. And after the we had the one academy to graduate, and this kid walks up to me, and, you know, we're— what the, the, I, I don't know what they do today, but we would transition the old police cars and, and give the, the, the a seniority based, you sure. know. We would give the older police officers the newer cars and the new recruits, we would give them an old car. And I had a, one of the kids walk up and he was a white kid and he looks at me and he says, why am I getting that old car? I mean, I almost didn't know what to say. I just, you know, I, I was flabbergasted for a minute and, and when I caught my breath and said, uh, well, first of all, you don't have a car at all now. But I'm not your daddy. You know, your daddy may have gave you a new car every year. I ain't your daddy. And and, and now you got a real problem because you don't gave me the red ass. Anymore. Right, right. So we got a problem. And, uh, yeah, I, I saw that. I You know, I had a kid actually walk into my office one time. I called him in. And all I was going to do. I kind of had a philosophy: is the first one's on me, the second one's on you. If right. it was a minor offense, right? And, and the second time they came in it was when we dropped the hammer. But he'd come in, and I said, "You need to watch." I was going to tell him, "You need to watch the way you talk to people." I said, "You know, the, I'm starting to get complaints that you're being a little overbearing, and you're starting to be rude to people. We need to, we need to be better than that." So he walks in my office, and he said, "What you need?"
1: Oh man.
0: i I will tell you clay i I did like michael jackson i was i was moonwalking backwards and i went and again i caught my breath and i said son let me explain something to you you're gonna walk outside that door you're gonna think about what you just walked into the chief of police's office and said and i said you're gonna think about i'm gonna give you five minutes then i want you to walk back in here and I want you to tell me the same thing because if you do you're fired. And I said, "I and you need to think about real real hard what you just explained to the chief of police." Well, when he did come back, of course he was a different person at that point, but it goes back to respect. Respect and yeah. attitude that we've got. We have to respect everyone. Absolutely. I, when I was on the street I was yes sir and no sir to everybody, regardless of color. I I just felt that I was raised that way. It was a proper thing to do. And you can can absolutely change the whole situation by the way you talk to people. No question about it. I, I had police officers that would give people just total screaming and hollering fits just by telling them good morning it's the way they talk to people it's not you know and and i think that brings down that a confrontational uh situation when you talk to people in a normal tone of vote nobody wants to hear do you realize how you driving you're an idiot you know nobody wants to yeah. hear that i'm gonna get mad yeah, that might get you together. a bit honked off if you somebody know. tells yeah. me that
1: yeah yeah, so you're saying law enforcement here, they're hearing what's being said. Now and I'll just kinda of drill back down on that. They're hearing what's being said. Do they just kind of let it go like water off a duck's back? And for the percentage who are taking it personal, because these guys have families, these ladies and guys, they have families, they have social circles, they you know, they go to churches or wherever they go, and they hear all of this. So how do you keep from letting what you're hearing out there? influence the fact that you're out to call balls and strikes and do the job on the line?
0: Well, th- they knew that when they walked in. Uh, probably in the first week of the academy, they knew what was going to happen. But this they, is
1: different, though. This is different this for Baton Rouge.
0: But it is different. But, but again, you're, you're, the negative tone is, you know, it, it's been hyped up and it's been stepped up. Mm-hmm. But i think what the officers that i've talked to during this period of time for one thing were getting extremely fatigued yeah they it, it's hot yep they were working 12 at least 12 hours yep. a day those sort of things get on your nerve but from from what from what I can tell and and i'm going to tell you they never knew what was going to happen at any one given moment because I always said we're one incident away from a full-blown big old deal right. here because right. that's all it would take is somebody to cross that line and and do something stupid on either side right that's all it would take so you know does it does it hurt yeah look I was when I was running the task force on Derek Todd Lee I was called every name in a book that you can call somebody it was my fault that everybody all these women got killed
1: Very what was hard the mother's name
0: Lynn Marino Lynn Marino she was not a big fan of mine. No, if she ever sent you a pie, you might no, want to run yeah, it through the I bomb squad. Yeah, yeah. I, but, but, you know, I didn't have a daughter that got killed and yep. butchered by somebody either. Yeah. And I always tried to keep that in focus. Sure. And, and I, uh, while I, I understood why she was angry, sure. I understood why she wanted Just to the Just lashing out. Street cause her kid was killed. Yeah. Did it make me feel any better? No. I didn't want yeah. to feel like getting drugged through the mud every yeah. day. Yeah. But you've got to you've got to keep your eyes on the prize. Sure. You got to keep moving forward. And these guys got to do the same thing. They're here and every they've been called every name in the book. They've been accused of everything. They've been you know, every every day there's some new lawsuit being filed by somebody that they've done something they shouldn't have done. And you know, those things can be expected in these situations. Now, unfortunately, that's just the way things are in this country right now. Yeah, Everybody's going to go get three or four lawyers, and, you know, that's, that's, that's the way we do business now, unfortunately.
1: How do we make this better? How do, you, how do we create a bridge where people with courage can cross it between the two sides of this issue? The, the well-meaning, public servant, law enforcement community and those people who feel like police officers are out to get them. How do we build a bridge to where so where we can make this better? Because this is a good town. And I think this is different for for us. And we're trying to figure out how to navigate through something we've never done before. How do we build that bridge?
0: I, I think we need to do what we've quit doing a long time ago and that's communicating. And and all everything I've just been through here sure. with you in the last few minutes has has kind of been focused around communications and how you treat people and what you expect out of people. Uh, I I don't know if we're gonna fix the problem. I, I think that as long as police officers have to do what they have to do, that there are always gonna be these types of problems in the community. But what the public, what I would expect out of the police department is that they do what they're supposed to do within the law and they treat everybody how they would want to be treated. I think that's absolutely what you have to do. Now, I don't expect somebody, a police officer, to sit back and get beaten on and mistreated right. Right. and those sort of things because I think that if you lose that, you, you lose the law. Uh, you, you become a lawless community, and we can't do that. But, but right. I think we need to take these talking heads... These, the politicians that are that have other agendas, uh, that are looking for votes instead of just let's do the right thing. There's no reason why. I, I think that this community can be put back to where it needs to be if if that dialogue is opened up and we just we're real frank. I mean, you know me. I've never had a problem being frank about something. Nah. And 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 I think that if you sit down with a group of people. You know, I heard somebody say there was a meeting being held with, with some ministers and some other people, and it was, it was discussed how we're going to fix this problem in Baton Rouge. And they said, well, we're sitting around with like-minded people. That's not what you need to do. I need to sit down with people that don't think like me. I saw someone say that this morning, and and that's not the way it needs and to be. And it's not
1: happening at all.
0: Uh, the, the people that's on the street and, and, and suffering with crime going, don't think like me. No. They we need that we need to figure out right. how we bridge that gap where we're not like minded. We're we're opposite really in the way we feel because you want your community safe. You want it taken care of. You want your house safe you want your children safe but on the other hand you don't want police in there grabbing your children up and snatching them up and throwing them all over the street right so there's that we need to fix that because i think it's not that far but you know unfortunately clay i think this the reality of this is that Last year, they're, they're probably in a, in, in a department have between one hundred fifty and 200,000 calls for service a year. There were probably a couple of thousand calls that were just like this the other night. Hmm. Exactly like it. A guy on a, in front of a store with a gun. And police routinely go up there and they, they handle these situations. The situation that happened the other night exists every day in this city. Yeah and th- they don't all go to this point so thank god thank god i mean that, that's you that we've the police have had numerous opportunities to do these sort of things if that's what their mindset was to do right but i'm gonna tell you the last thing the absolute last thing that blaine salamone wanted to happen to him that night when he left the house was this to happen he will never be the same. And I understand that. I'm not even comparing that to well, Mr. Sterling. Right. That's a two two things. But if you're asking how the police officers deal with that, his whole life has been completely changed now. I mean, he left the house not, you know, you, you always think, well, something could happen tonight. But nobody thinks they're going to come home and their whole life has been changed. And this is just the beginning. You're going to have... You're going to have a, the DOJ come in here and do whatever they're going to do. Then that's going to be followed up by either the attorney general or some special prosecutor sure. that's going to come in here. Then you got to deal with internal affairs with the Baton Rouge Police Department, and then you are going to deal with all the civil lawsuits. So there's five things that this kid is going to have to deal with. So the idea that he went out and, and looked for this to happen is absolutely crazy. It's not, you know... Again, I'm not gonna speculate what happened. I, I, I saw the tapes like everybody else, and what happened when those three were on the ground, I have no idea. I mean, the investigation will hopefully eventually display that. Uh, I'm worried, you know, we, I think we'll all worry whenever a decision's made of what's yeah. gonna happen, but I don't, honestly, I don't think that's gonna be anytime soon.
1: I, two final questions I'll ask you, this one first because I've asked everybody who's been on to talk about this, this same question. What happens here if the federal government chooses not to prosecute, that they look at this and they say that it was either a justifiable shoot or we, we don't have enough evidence to come to a conclusion other than to say we can't come to a conclusion. And I don't know what the technical term for that would be, but what do you think happens here if that is the case?
0: Same, probably the same reaction when they, they when they decided not to prosecute Hillary Clinton. I mean, it made. I, I mean, you look at the same group of people. I mean, it, you got you got a group of people that don't like Hillary Clinton, and they expected something to happen to her, and when it didn't happen, everybody's up in arms with you know the the DOJ's incompetent, the Attorney General's incompetent, the FBI's incompetent. Well, we're looking at the same FBI that just investigated Hillary Clinton. It's no difference. The same group of people. So, you know, they're dealing with a civil rights violation, and it's, that's very entailed. Yeah. Uh, they, they have to prove that this gentleman's civil rights were violated, right. and, and it has to meet certain guidelines yeah. to get there. Uh, I, I don't know. I have actually never. What has always happened in the past is that, that BRP, we always handled our own stuff.
1: Yeah, that brings up another issue that I guess. So I guess there's two more questions (laughs) that I need to ask you. Uh, I'll just jump right in right there. Do you agree with the decision to bring the feds in to handle
0: this? No, because I think the Baton Rouge Police Department has the best group of people that deal with these kind of things every day. They deal with homicides. They deal with shootings every day. They have the best people that know how to do it. The department, they're going to bring down here two uh, DOJ, attorneys and a group of investigators probably and those guys have never worked a homicide in their life i, I mean that's the reality of it they the fbi does not work homicides now i don't think that's their intent anyway because i'm a little confused on this myself but the point on, what, of, on which part what exactly are they or well, they they trying to achieve here i, I you know Everybody said let's throw it to the DOJ and let's let them handle it and let's hand it off to them. And I'm assuming that their responsibility in this will be to find if there's a civil rights violation because there's no there's no federal homicide charge on the books sure. in this country.
1: But don't you think there are people who who like for me, I thought the decision was smart from this standpoint that there was the accusation of some kind of corruption or shenanigans or whatever was going to be thrown at the Baton Rouge Police Department and the DA's office, no matter what they did here. And by backing it out that way and then working back this way, maybe you remove some of that. Was I wrong?
0: Well, I guess I have...
1: Because your perspective is from the my, perspective of someone who's worn the badge and done the job I and has led my, the department. I
0: guess my perspective is that I want my people to do this because they're the best at doing it, and I don't think anybody can do it any better. And I think everything they do will be gone over with a fine-tooth comb. Sure. Everything will be evaluated. There's no hiding anything anymore. I mean, it, this will be an open book, whoever does it. It will be all laid out. There will be no hiding of this. But, you know, up to this point, the Baton Rouge Police Department has always cleaned their own stuff up it is, it is what they've done and they've always done it I think very well I fired a lot of police officers and and I believe there are guys that don't need to be police officers and and, and that's what happens to them but you know it doesn't it take that equation out of it yes you're right it does take that out of it but if My purpose is to find the truth. Sure. To make sure that everything's done the way it's supposed to be done and there's nothing there that's going to, you know, that's going to hamper that. Uh, What happens the next time a police officer shoots somebody? What happens the next time somebody gets beat up? Are we not so there's a live? long
1: time before there's a next time. Well,
0: I know that, but it could be happening right now. The point I'm making is, do you bring the D- DOJ in to investigate everything the police department does now? Is well, the DOJ going to run ble- yeah. the police department? I mean, that's what the precedent I worry yeah. about is that you've created this now that nobody's going to be satisfied with anything that the department But that narrative does. is
1: probably because of all of this, all of this that's happening in other parts of the country, is that people are so sensitive and, and they're so careful and calculating about everything they say and they do, and in my opinion, sometimes overthinking it. Uh, I just, I want to ask this question as we wrap up. First, many of the men and women who are currently employed by the Baton Rouge Police Department served alongside you and under you as their police chief. There's still some people there. There's a few left. (laughs) There's a few left. To them and to every other man and woman who is serving in the Baton Rouge Police Department, what would you say to them? And for those on the other side of this, not those looking for anarchy, but those who just have a not so high opinion of the police department right now, what would you say to them? Both of them take them in whichever order you'd like.
0: I, I have spoken to a number of police officers, and I have posted a lot of information on Facebook just in my support of what, how I feel about the Baton Rouge Police Department. I, I, it's very important to me. i spent more than half my life there. Uh, I, I think it's a, a professional organization. It's accredited, uh, a nationally accredited police department, which they go over everything you've ever done and, and it includes use of force issues. All those things are examined. So, you know, you almost, and, and if you were having racial problems, those things would creep up in these accreditation-type hearings. So, but I think, I think the police department knows that they're going to have the backing of everybody including me and any other former chief of police or anybody that's ever been associated with the police department, as long as they're right. I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I think that as I will back somebody to the hill as long as I think they're right in what they've done. Now, I'm not making excuses. I don't think everybody acts within the scope of, of the law every time they go out in a police car. And... And and I think that the police department makes a concerted effort to try to get to, to wean those people out of there. But uh, I, I think things will will get better. I I, I think things will settle down. Uh, I think the Sterling family has will have something to do with that. So far, I think I, their approach has been very good. I think they have taken the high road here, sure. when they could have taken a lot of different roads yeah. here, and and I do appreciate that. I think that has settled things down, and we can't bring him back. Uh, all we can do is make sure that what has happened is investigated, and and let the system work.
1: And I'm sure both sides would say they they don't they wanted it to never happen again if they could help it.
0: Well, I you know, and and that's. The, the thing look, we need to learn from everything we ever do I mean that's that's how we all get better as we learn from things we do and you know again will hundreds of hours more of training stop something like this from happening again probably not uh, every scenario is going to be different but I you know, I think deep down, I hear the people in Baton Rouge, and I look, I'm in North Baton Rouge a lot. I, I spent a lot, still spend a lot of time in North Baton Rouge. And I grew up right there in the middle of it on Hollywood Street. So I know how those, uh, you know, I know how those people think. And they need the police. It's not that they don't need it, but they do expect, like I said earlier, that the police respect them and work within the boundaries of doing things the right way, the proper way, and, and not mishandling the public. Because I, I don't have, I really don't have any, uh, that's, you know, I I can't put up with that. I, I think that, you know, I, I've really, in, in 32 years of uh, policing, have never put my hands on a person. I always felt, yeah. you know, well, I, I felt like I could talk better than I could shoot, and my mouth has gotten me out of a lot of different jams. And I mean, it really—you
1: shot yourself in the foot a few times with it, though.
0: But I have, but but at least I'm talking, and I think, and if we need to keep talking, right? Uh, I've had two people stick guns to my head, and I've had to talk them out of killing me two two, two different times. So you know, there is value in 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 communicating with people i mean that that has to continue to happen and and we can't let that stop now i think the more we we communicate uh, i think after tomorrow uh, the city needs to start back to to getting back together and hopefully tomorrow
1: being by the time this runs today because this is running on friday so day the day of the funeral yeah i'm sorry
0: friday well it's going to be a big day for baton rouge to see how we handle this as a city uh and and i hope that we handle it well Uh, we we've we need it right now we need to handle this well right now we need everybody needs to join in this and 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 take part in handling this well and and not letting your emotions take o- over is a very difficult thing. It really is. And, and But, you know, we really need to think all of this out before we get, you know, we get too far down the road where we get so far separated that we can't pull this back together.
1: Well, I appreciate you coming and sitting with me, man. It's always fun.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's never, unfortunately, every time I come in here, it looks like something bad's happening. Okay, we, so, we it's, uh, to, so it's you. That's what yeah, it is. I've been trying to figure out what, <laughs> what it is. Well, <laughs> well, listen, uh, your family's good? Yes,
1: yes, thank you. All right. Former Baton Rouge Police Chief Pat Inglade. Thanks, Pat. You're welcome. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. All
0: right,
1: another one down. Former Baton Rouge Police Chief Pat Englade telling you how he feels about everything here. I thought it was an enlightening conversation. Some of you may agree with what Pat said. Some of you may disagree. I can tell you he says what he feels. He's not trying to win any popularity contests. And I enjoyed the discussion. Coming up next week, Scott McKay. Online blogger, conservative thinker, and he'll give you his perspective on this. And I can tell you, we've already recorded the interview. It's fascinating, and you will hear that next week, followed quickly by our conversation with Joel Bowie, who sits on the Baton Rouge Metro Council. He's an outgoing councilman, and uh, right after that, David Tatman, who is a sitting member of the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board. And a businessman here in town. He's also he's a lobbyist, and so you'll hear from him. So a lot still on tap. And after next week, we will get back to our weekly show, unless something dictates otherwise. Until then, thank you for listening. Tell your friends about us. You can follow me on Twitter at clayyoungbr or on Facebook backslash clay young. Pick the right one. And of course, you can listen to our show via iTunes and its app the Talk 107.3 mobile app, or at podcast225.com. See ya. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.